It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's going to be a big show. Josh Rogan at the bottom of the hour. His book, uh, Chaos Under Heaven, still selling well. Why wouldn't it? It's more apropos than ever. It talks about the relations between the U.S. and China today, leading up to the pandemic and through the pandemic. He's got another column out today. We'll talk to him. Uh, He wants to push the ball forward. I don't think he's concerned about Republicans, Democrats. It's just not his thing, even though he's with the Washington Post. Uh, And, of course, the phone number to call, 1-866-408-7669. A lot going on today, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You may have forgotten over the last couple of years, but this is how diplomacy works. We don't meet with people only when we agree. It's actually important to meet with leaders when we have a range of disagreements, as we do with Russian leaders. So we don't regard the meeting with the Russian president as a reward. Well, it seems like that, doesn't it? The Russia reward, Russia rewarded for all the destructive things from the Arctic to the pipeline that uh, that was hacked on the East Coast to their killing and jailing of their dissidents. President Biden salutes Vladimir Putin with a summit in Switzerland. One word comes to mind, weak. Number two. I think qualified immunity is is essential because one of the most important things for us to do in reforming policing in the United States is to hold police departments and police officers accountable. About a year ago, since George Floyd's death, what has happened to crime in America, policing in America? Well, nothing good. No gains, more anger, less cops, more Americans, less safe, and discuss police reform looks like a disaster. Let's get it on. Number one. And since this is a question that keeps being asked, we feel strongly that we should continue with the investigation and go to the next phase of the investigation that the WHO has done. Because we don't know 100% what the origin is, it's imperative that we look and we do an investigation. Us or somebody else? The Fauci follies continue. Again, he flip-flops on what we gave, what we have, and the Wuhan lab and how much money they got from his organization. Why does he still have a job, and why is the Biden administration, depending on the WHO, to find out how the whole pandemic began? So let's get started. So what do you say? I mean, what do you say to an investigation now that suddenly has piqued everyone's interest? What if you're Tom Cotton and you brought that up right away? What if you're President Trump and you're hanging out in Westminster in New Jersey and you're saying this is unbelievable? I thought it came from the lab to begin with. Tom Cotton said— Logic points you to the lab, but all the medical community says, no, it didn't happen there. And the WHS said, don't look there. Well, that's the problem. We got good news on the COVID front, you know, because our vaccine works, because the communication's good, because we're getting it around to people. It looks as though uh, every day more and more loosing restrictions, depending on how much pressure goes on the blue states' governors. The red states get it. But ever since 18 scientists were quoted in a Science Magazine article by a gentleman that came on with us named Nicholas Wade— There's been interest in this lab accident origin story. We've been interested for a year, but then the globe starts getting interested. Three researchers on Sunday, it was revealed by the Wall Street Journal, came down with a COVID-19 symptoms, many of uh, two of which had to be hospitalized back a month before they told us the, the coronavirus was out and about in China. Guess where they work? The Wuhan lab. This is all a theory 
that is now much more logical than not logical. It beats a bat biting a pangolin that spread it to a human that destroyed Wuhan, the city, had it whole locked down, would later, later kill 600,000 Americans, and it looks like hundreds of thousands Indians currently right now, Brazilians, and affect every continent on the planet outside uh, the Arctic Circle. That's what's happening. And Josh Rogan wrote about it in his book. He's coming up in 15 minutes. But what I find interesting is that I think more people are getting enlightened to the fact that and Dr. Fauci either intentionally or unintentionally is misleading everybody. I'll give you an example. First, he had that famous argument with Rand Paul saying, I never did. Uh, I never did uh, analysis. The, uh, the analysis that had um, qualified I'm trying to think of the executive, a gain of function analysis, okay? Never did it. Went back and forth. I never did it, never did it, never did it. Well, yesterday, he defended the $600,000 that went to the Wuhan lab. Excuse me? Yeah, it went to $600,000 went to the Wuhan lab to explore the transfer of a virus from animals to humans. But that's not gain of function research. You talk about parsing words, that's the other definition of it. Cut for it. We uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002, 2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host. It would have been almost a, a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese uh, uh, scientists. Sounds like fun. Modest collaboration with respectable Chinese scientists. You mean the same scientists who worked at a lab that really poisoned the first city that would eventually poison the world? But let's make it clear. It's not gain of function. Cut five. There was nothing in the grant application and or granting of the purpose of the grant and the description of the grant that would call for what is referred to as gain of function. Gain of function meaning taking a virus that could infect humans and making it either more transmissible and or pathogenic to humans. That categorically was not done. The economic, uh, the Echo Health Alliance got $3.7 million from Anthony Fauci's NIH. From there, they wrote a $600,000 check to the Wuhan lab. So think about that as you listen to this. Cut seven. Dr. Fauci, do you still support funding of the NIH funding of the lab in Wuhan? Senator Paul, with all due respect, you are entire, entirely and completely incorrect. Government scientists like yourself who favor gain-of-function research... I don't favor gain-of-function research in China. You are saying naturally. things that are not correct. Will you, in front of this group, categorically say that the COVID-19 could not have occurred through serial passage in a laboratory? I do not have any accounting of what the Chinese may have done, and I'm fully in favor of any further investigation. Now he's in favor of it. But back then, there was just no reason to pursue that. He still doesn't believe it. But I just want you to remember who was first. Tom Cotton on this show, January 22nd, 2020. Cut 10. Brian, it's, there's still a lot unknown, but here's what we do know. The Chinese Communist Party has once again been caught red-handed covering up, suppressing, and censoring 
a serious public health risk, which could increasingly be a global public health health risk. For weeks, uh, China did not come clean about the coronavirus that they first said was only being passed from animals to human in a uh, seafood market in Wuhan in China. But now we know, uh, because they finally come clean to an extent, not fully, that it is increasingly being passed from person to person. We had our first U.S. confirmed U.S. case happen just in the last couple of days, and it is spreading around the globe. This is very much like what happened with SARS about 15 years ago, when China has learned nothing and they've concealed almost everything. January 22nd, one year ago, handful of cases, Senator Tom Cotton alarmed. Man, was he right. Was he right. He single-handedly convinced the president to stop flights, while Anthony Fauci said it's an overreaction and Joe Biden said it was xenophobic. Having said all that, there is no downside to President Biden saying, I am going to put together a blue-ribbon panel of American scientists— or EU scientists combined with American scientists that are going to demand access to the Wuhan lab or use current samples and information and intelligence that we have gathered on our own to come up with our own conclusion. Instead, we're depending on the WHO, who Donald Trump was so disheartened with, he's cut off funding. Joe Biden immediately put it back. Nikki Haley, cut 12. We are way past time getting answers from China, way past time getting answers from the World Health Organization. Um, You know, back when I was U.N. ambassador, the president had me go to Vienna, and I met with the International Atomic Energy Agency to find out exactly what was going on in Iran. There is no reason why the U.S. ambassador at the U.N. has not called for a Security Council meeting with the secretary general there asking China and the World Health Organization what they knew, when they knew, how they knew it. And someone needs to be going to that lab to investigate exactly what's going on in the lab. Right now, there's not even much interest. The WHO doesn't believe in its own report. I'll get more on that in 15 minutes. But for next, I do want to talk about what's happened one year since George Floyd was killed. Devin Chauvin, Chauvin. Uh, Darren Chauvin is in jail. He is the officer who uh, really killed George Floyd. But George Floyd's life is not something you look up to. How he died is something that was so alarming, it got the world's attention, and it should have. And Chauvin was wrong, and he's in jail, and he should be. But what's happened since with police reform has been nothing but less than tragic. They've emptied the prisons. Cops have quit. 200 have quit the Minneapolis police force alone. Crime has shot up. Around the country, in cities that need the most law enforcement, they now have the least. Where crime is out of control to begin with, it is off the charts now. Homicides in major cities, up 22%. Chicago, up 22%. Atlanta, up 50%. Portland, up 800%. They're working on criminal justice reform without a single police officer in Washington. That bothers me. They've made cops the bad guys. That worries me. Because people can always improve in their job, whether the one you have or the one I have. And if you want to improve it, Washington has the ability and the purse strings to do it. But how they do it and what they do is key. So far, it's produced nothing but anarchy and made cities that need the most security least secure. Here is a police officer, a former police officer from Minneapolis, Steve Dykstra. He quit. He was on it with America's Newsroom yesterday. Cut 22. Well, this goes back before George Floyd. Since around 2015, I know the city of Minneapolis has been backpedaling 
um, taking tools away from police to enforce the law and keep the streets safe. Um, I, I see the George Floyd event as tragic as it was as um, kind of a buildup of uh, years of backpedaling by the police. When, when police don't have any tools uh, to use anymore, they feel pretty helpless out there. Mm -hmm. um, you take away loitering laws, um, pursuit, ability to pursue vehicles. You, you don't have to stop for the police in Minneapolis anymore. Uh, thanks to Mayor Fry and the city council. Right. Cops get frustrated. And uh, what you see is chaos, violence, yeah. and reoccurring crime. A year from the George Floyd death, what have we learned? What's changed in our country? Please point out something that changed for the better. It hasn't. 200 police, uh, Minneapolis police officers have left the force in the wake of the death. Minneapolis has seen 31 homicides already this year, not including this weekend's past violence. On the average, they averaged 4,496 incidents over the previous five years. There are 5,422 violent crime incidents already this year. That's homicides, rapes, robberies, aggravated assaults. Things are totally out of control. How do you get them back in control? Not taking power away from the police and qualified immunity, which means you can sue them. You're going to give me $50,000 to risk my life and then you're going to sue me? Forget it. Something's got to change. And if that change happens, we're all in trouble. What do you think? 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox & Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Putin had indicated he wanted to meet with me uh, well over a month ago. I've spoken with him a number of times. We're going to be having a meeting uh, in Switzerland uh, not too long from now. So let me see. Vladimir Putin, who you said has no soul and is a murderer, wanted to meet with you a month ago? Really? Is that why he welled up troops in the Ukraine after you made both those comments? Stumbled into him through a Q&A, I think, with George Stephanopoulos? Unbelievable. January 16th, June the 16th, President Biden will meet in Switzerland with Vladimir Putin. Let's see. 
We've decided to stay in the missile agreement that Donald Trump got out of. Why did Donald Trump get out of it? Because they were violating it. It was useless. He said, let's update it. Do nothing on the pipeline hack that hit the East Coast. Did Vladimir Putin do it? I don't know. But did the hack come from inside Russia? Yes. Does anything happen inside Russia? He doesn't know. He said it wasn't his fault. That was Joe Biden said that. Do nothing as uh, Belarus who is really uh, a puppet, uh, Vladimir Putin is a puppet master for that leader who has no business being in power, forced down a plane carrying journalists who were very critical of the leader. He did nothing. Vladimir Putin was not yelled at, was not cajoled. Uh, He was not even asked to intervene and let go of these journalists. They're under lockdown right now. And then allow the Nord Stream 2 to be completed. What's significant about that? It goes from Russia right to Western Europe. It bypasses the Ukraine, leaving them literally out in the cold. And Germany didn't care about it. Donald Trump cared about it. You learned to care about it. But Joe Biden said, well, that's already almost built. That ship has pretty much sailed. Listen to what he said about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline that we Threatened our allies not to finish. Cut 27. Why have you decided to meet with President Putin? And why are you letting Germany and uh, Russia to build, to continue building Nord Stream 2? Because it's almost completely finished, number one. The idea that anything that, and it's not like I can allow Germany to do something or not. I have been opposed to Nord Stream 2 from the beginning, but it only has, a, it's almost completed by the time I took off and uh, to go ahead and impose sanctions now would I think be counterproductive in terms of our European relations. They know how strongly I feel. So it doesn't matter how strongly you feel. So when we go to put sanctions on Russia for their other, uh, let's say, reckless act, whether it's in Syria or whether they decide to take another portion of Georgia or Ukraine, or they go into Lithuania. Don't be surprised when Western Europe goes, yeah, that's uh, not good, Vladimir. Please stop it. While well, we put on heavy sanctions. Why are they going to be putting heavy sanctions on a country that controls their energy? And if they go hard on them and they shut off or slow down the oil and gas, their people freeze. This is not hard to figure out. I mean, Vladimir Putin is an enemy of the country. The only way to get him under control is to... Show strength. The first thing Barack Obama did, remember, is take out the missile shield from Western Europe for no reason except for goodwill for Russia. He didn't get any goodwill. Wall Street Journal's editorial board, Putin hijacks Biden for a summit. I think that is just right on the money and could not be more disappointing. Here's Mark Meadows, Cut 30. Joe Biden is America last. We don't have to look any further than the cancellation of the Keystone Pipeline. And then what do they do for Russia? They take off the sanctions so that they can finish their pipeline. We see, not uh, not uh, surprisingly today, that the Palestinians actually referred to Secretary Blinken as Secretary Clinton. Well, that's because they're reverting back to a, a Clinton way of doing business. And what did they get? What did, what did the Biden administration do? 2,000 rockets into Israel. And what do they get in return? They get all kinds of concessions from the Biden administration. That's not leadership. It's time that we revert back to what works, and that is peace through strength, a boldness that President Donald Trump brought to the American people. All right. uh, That is Mark Meadows. It's totally true. And the one thing that Donald Trump doesn't have to tweet to remind people how different the country was when he was there. Yes, people were very angry. Yes, people were very happy. Yes, we were divided. We're more divided now. 
But know what else is happening? Pandemic aside, almost every policy is for a Democratic agenda, not for, an, not for America's agenda. It's not making our country better, safer, or more secure. It's making the Democrats' agenda a possibility, a reality, in spite of the economic downfall. Josh Rogan next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. radio show like no other it's brian kilmeade we have repeatedly called for the who to to support an expert driven evaluation of the pandemic's origins that is free from interference or politicization now there were phase one results that came through uh we were not uh during that first phase of the investigation, there was not access to data. There was not information provided. Uh, and now we're hopeful that uh, WHO can move into a more transparent, independent phase two investigation. But they can't. They just did it and weren't happy with their final report. They didn't get the access they were looking for. So I don't know what Jen Psaki was talking about. Josh Rogan, author of Chaos Under Heaven, President uh, Trump, she and the battle for the 21st century. Uh, Josh was doing one very good book, and then it turns into a global pandemic emanating from China, and it turns out into a, a great book that is absolutely required reading if the country really wants to understand what's happening uh, and what kind of pressure we are on and threat we are under China. Josh, welcome back. Great to be back with you, Brian. So are you confident the WHO is going to do the investigation Jen Psaki is counting on? You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and inspecting a different result. And it's not as if the WHO just fumbled the investigation. It's so much worse than that. They hired the best friends of the Wuhan lab to investigate the Wuhan lab. They went to the Wuhan lab for three hours, met their best friends, asked them, did you do it? They said no. They said, OK, sorry, case closed. And shut up if you dare mention the Wuhan lab leak theory after that. And this is a year wasted, a year gone by. Uh, where the evidence is getting further and further in our rearview mirror and where the WHO has become essentially a, a, a useful idiot for the Chinese government's attempts to cover up the origin of the coronavirus. And why would they be covering it up if they didn't have something to hide? And, you know, the Biden administration uh, is torn internally because they don't know what to do and they don't know what the truth is. Uh, so they've come up with this alibi, which is like, oh, we real this is a critical national security issue. We hope the WHO does a good job the second time, even though they screwed it up the first time. And it just doesn't make sense. It's hypocrisy at its core. And, you know, that's the problem is that, you know, if, if you really believe that we need to get to the bottom of this and you really believe we need to investigate all the theories, because we don't know which theory is right, we need to investigate the natural origin theory and the lab leak theory, well, then you have to admit to yourself that the WHO can't be entrusted with this because they screwed it up already and they hired the the corrupt and conflict conflicted scientists to do the investigation and that said it was extremely unlikely so they've lost their credibility and the only people who can really do this are the US government we're the only ones no one else has the tools and the power we just don't have the will we don't have a government that has the will to actually do it right uh, or the will where everyone feels as though the downside would be breaking up relations and economically we're so intertwined 
where their people are too afraid to pay the price, let alone the military threat that China offers. But, Josh, Sunday, the Wall Street Journal did a story saying three researchers got sick with COVID-19-like symptoms in November of 2019 when they told us the first case was the first week in December. Jen Psaki was asked about that, and she said, well, that's, those weren't uh, American reports. Those weren't American witnesses. She just threw, in your words, threw cold water on this instead of trying to grow with this. Being that she's not implicated at all, she's not blocking Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not culpable. So instead of saying, yes, we're very curious, we did take note, why did she take that tact? Right. So first on your question of, like, will investigating the origin of the pandemic upset the Chinese Communist Party? I'm here to tell you it may upset them, okay? And— Guess what? If 580,000 dead Americans is not a good reason to risk upsetting delicate U.S.-China relations, then what is a good reason? I mean, we're talking about a complex relationship, sure, but they're covering up vital scientific information that's impacting our public health. Not just us, by the way. Every human being knows that they're suffering in the pandemic, which is ongoing and raging in most parts of the world, actually, uh, is being exacerbated by the continued, to this day, refusal of the Chinese government to give us basic data, basic science, to tell us what they know. And they won't do it. And it's costing us lives, even today. Okay, that's why it's an urgent national security matter. And that's why we might actually have to risk upsetting them in order to press them to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, when it comes to that W the Wall Street Journal report, here's what I'll say. You know, a lot of that information was already out there. You know, a lot of it was already published in Australia, you know, two months ago. And that's what Saki is talking about. It probably came from the Australians, right? This is their intelligence that came into our intelligence community. And, you know, people inside the Trump administration and the Biden administration, by the way, were like, hey, we should probably take a look at this sick researchers, COVID-like symptoms. But, the, you know, the, the, the problem is that, you know, all this information is leaking out in little tiny bits and it allows people like Jem Psaki to like throw cold water on it and say, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. We can't make heads or tails of it. And they're ducking the issue. Uh, what they should just do is release all the intelligence that they have. Tell us what they know. What's that? What? Why? You know, what What else do we know about these sick researchers? What were they working on? Were they working on back coronaviruses? That's what some people from the Trump administration say. Isn't that relevant? You know, why are they thwarting all these congressional investigations? I get it. They're Republicans. They don't trust the intentions of Republicans. But I'm here to tell you that just because they're Republicans don't, doesn't mean they don't have some good questions that we got to ask all of our agencies who are working with the, U the labs. That means Fauci and the NIH, but not just Fauci. Don't get too concerned about focusing on Fauci. It's DOD and the State Department and USAID and the National Science Foundation. All of these American and the Homeland Security Department and the intelligence community were funneling money to something called the EcoHealth Alliance, which was funneling money to the Wuhan labs to work on back coronaviruses. And we got to figure all that out. We, we, that's going to take some actual effort and some actual commitment by the U.S. government uh, to, to do that. Fox confirmed a report that CNN had saying that the Biden team shut down a State Department inquiry that Mike Pompeo had headed up and named the panel looking into a possible link between the lab and the the advent of COVID-19. Uh, was that, as far as you could tell through your sources, Josh Rogan, because it was a Trump thing? Yeah, no, I know everything about that story. 
and uh, some of it is covered in my book, Chaos Under Heaven. Uh, but what happened was that the actually the Trump administration had lots of different COVID origin investigations. They weren't all necessarily linked up with each other, and sometimes the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. But the people inside the State Department, the bureaucrats, they didn't like the Trump people. So as soon as the Trump people were gone, this particular investigation, they just quashed it, right? And because the Biden people came in, they didn't know what was what, and there was like no real transition, because you remember what happened during the transition, uh, they didn't figure it out. So they're just like, okay, forget it. That's a Trump thing. Let's just... Uh, put that to the side. But, you know, it, whether or not you like Trump or Pompeo, there's a lot of work that they did on this that is good work. And that doesn't mean I'm endorsing the lab leak theory. We don't know. You know, I don't know. You don't know. We don't know. But they tried to get to right. the bottom of some of it. And so, yeah, we shouldn't be shutting down investigations. We should be continuing them. You know, we talk about our allies, and you talk heavily about President Trump, his foreign policy, and his allies. I want bilateral trade deals. I don't want multilateral trade deals. Hence, the TPP went by the boards. Uh, and he, he, would look at, he would challenge our allies as well as our enemies on a regular basis. Joe Biden was supposed to be the one to get the world united, get everybody together. If you got everybody together, uh, these, every nation has a reason to want to find out the answer to this and right. hold China culpable, that would be the wedge. And it's really the only wedge, Josh, right? Can, do you see any push for that? I don't. All I right. see is we want the WHO and international experts to look into it. Right. I mean, remember what happened when Australia tried to start their own origin investigation? The Chinese government boycotted Australian beef and wine, plunging their economy into further crisis in the middle of a pandemic. So we know that other countries want to get to the bottom of this because they know the same thing that we know, that it's the only way to prevent the next pandemic. You've got to figure out this one to prevent the next one. And so it's everybody has an interest in doing that, except for the Chinese government. And all these other countries are not strong enough to stand up to the Chinese government. We are, if we want to be, if we choose to be, and we're just too scared of our own politics and worried about how will our tweets from March 2020 will look in the light of day if this turns out to be true, or whatever navel-gazing that the media is doing right now, trying to trip over themselves, pretending that they were objective a year ago, and now they're just learning. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares about the narrative, people care about getting to the bottom of the crisis so that we can prevent the next one. And I think if the Biden administration decided, which it has not yet decided to do, to, to actually lead that effort and not palm it off to the WHO, which Biden people privately admit to me they know is going to be a dead end. They know it's, it's, it's a fool's errand because the WHO is not set up for that. It's not because they're not nice people. It's because they don't have the power to do it. But we do. And if the Biden administration would lead, if America would lead, I assure you the rest of the world would follow. Absolutely. Um, so I want you to hear what Senator Tom Cotton said January 22nd on this show. January 22nd, 2020. Cut 10. Brian, it's, there's still a lot unknown, but here's what we do know. The Chinese Communist Party has once again been caught red-handed covering up, suppressing and censoring a serious public health risk, which could increasingly be a global public health, health risk. For weeks, uh, China did not come clean about the coronavirus that they first said was only being passed from animals to human in a uh, seafood market in Wuhan in China. But now we know, uh, because they finally come clean to an extent, not fully, that it is increasingly being passed from person to person. We had our first U.S. confirmed U.S. case happen just in the last couple of days, and it is spreading around the globe. This is very much like what happened with SARS about 15 years ago, and China has learned nothing and they've concealed almost everything. I mean, I can't give him enough credit. I mean, that he was you know, ended up being scaringly right. Exactly, exactly. And he was tarred as a conspiracy theorist and all the rest. And, you know, that's a Not tragedy. Not by you. And, 
No, but I mean, by like the vast majority of the of the media, and there were some people who were uh, dissenters, but they were also attacked as conspiracy theorists or racists or worse. And you know, if you listen to that now in April 2021, it sounds super reasonable, and a, a lot of people will have a lot of excuses for why they didn't think it was reasonable back then. Maybe you hated Trump, and yeah. maybe you, the scientists who were the best friends of the lab intentionally misled reporters. Actually, not maybe. That's exactly what happened. That's why it happened. The best friends of the lab. Uh, the American scientists who were covering their own butts misled a bunch of reporters who were happy to run with that narrative because it also uh, made Trump look foolish and made Tom Cotton look foolish, and that's what a lot of reporters like to do. And they got took. They got took by these sources, and the fact checkers got took by the same exact sources. That's why you see all the fact checkers scrambling over themselves to uncheck their facts and explain why their wrong fact check was right, and now it's wrong, but it's still they're still right somehow. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's crazy. Nobody cares. Okay, forget about why. What you know? It, like I don't. I'm, I don't expect any apologies. Tom Cotton's not going to get any apologies. It doesn't matter. We we are where we are. We need to investigate both theories. We need to figure this out. That means investigating the lab leak theory. And regardless of what you thought a year ago, regardless of whether you called Tom Cotton a name, you know, he's a center. He could take it. It comes with the territory. That's forget about that. The point is we've got to investigate this theory. We've got to do it now. We're going to need the Biden administration's help. Right. And the people that were credible early should be the ones you go to now. I think that is the point. Or just the do, people who yeah. don't have conflicts of interest. How about that? Let's start How about there. that? People without clear interest. And this makes me think that Anthony Fauci has a legitimate conflict of interest. Cut four. Sure. Yeah, he we uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002-2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host. It would have been almost a, a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese uh, uh, scientists. But it wasn't gain of function, and these weren't crazy guys with uh, in in uh, tie dye t shirts. So, Echo Health yeah. Alliance, the nonprofit, received three point seven million dollars in U.S. grant money, and six hundred thousand of that went to the Wuhan Institute. So, is this part of the cover up? I don't want to be embarrassed yeah. to have my fingerprints on any dollars that went to an institute that yeah. may, in fact, have poisoned the world. Yeah, this is really important, and I'm glad you brought this up because there's a lot of talk about Fauci and the NIH and that contract to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What listeners have to understand is that that's one tiny fraction of the U.S. taxpayer dollars that were going to the, these Wuhan labs, not just the, this lab, a whole bunch of labs. And that came through USAID, the National Science Foundation, the Defense Department, uh, the Homeland Security Department, the intelligence community, and many other agencies. So when Fauci gives his very lawyerly denial, this particular contract didn't fund this research, that's true or accurate on its face, but it's misleading because it obscures the bigger picture, which is that we had lots and lots of collaborations with these Wuhan labs on this risky virus research, and it doesn't matter if Fauci calls it gain-of-function or says it's not gain-of-function. It was right. risky, and we didn't keep an eye on it, and if that's how the pandemic broke out, then Fauci's going to have to answer a lot of tough questions no matter what he called it. And this whole thing over the definition of gain-of-function research is a red herring because it, it, if it's risky research and if it, the Chinese – in other words, it doesn't matter if we funded the I – don't, I don't think the, 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 what we're going to find out is that we funded the research that caused the pandemic. What we're going to find out is that 
we collaborated a lot with these Chinese labs. And then they had another side of the lab, the side they didn't tell us about. The right, side Josh, that Josh, do you realize, I'm just listening to you talk and going through your book, do you realize the Russian investigation and this China's pandemic uh, investigation have one thing in common? They are both exploiting, some unintentionally with China, the division in our country. If we could ever unite— well, the, the Russia thing would have been two, uh, a two-day story had both sides not seen uh, – had, had the Democrats not seen opportunity, I'm going to prove that he didn't legitimately get elected. Those Facebook well, yeah. ads did it. And then everyone gets divided for two and a half years and distracted. And now right. the same thing well, with China. We should all agree well, that we're suffering from the same virus, and it wasn't our fault. But we see political danger and opportunity in the same light. Brian, you're hitting on something that's really important here that doesn't get talked about enough. I think the parallel that I see between the Russia investigation and, and this is that it's getting super politicized, and that's really bad because it helps it harms our ability to find the truth. And you know, the Russia investigation got politicized to the point we could never untangle it. But here's the good news: we can still untangle this one. You know, we still have a shared interest, right? We don't have to argue about Trump or because he's not president. So we can just take the politics out of this and come together on the shared need to figure out how we got into this mess so that we can prevent the next right. pandemic so we can prevent the next three million deaths which is really right. something that shouldn't be political and the good news is the origin question is not actually a political question it's right. not even a scientific question it's a forensic question something bad happened in china we need to figure out what it is we need to do that right now right josh rogan thanks so much little by little we'll get the story you sat down with joe rogan a three-hour podcast that also tells a great story and your book gives you the competency to allowing you to take this uh, to the next level. Chaos Under Heaven's the name of it. Josh, thanks again. Thank you for being on the story, Brian. You got it. one 866 408 Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I feel for Americans watching the Olympics because all there is on American TV when the Olympics is happening is Americans. You don't even realize that there's like whole other countries involved in the Olympics. When I was in New York in 2012, it was the London Olympics. You would have thought it was happening in Boston. The way that <laughs> you only televise the ones that you're going to win. It's almost state propaganda. It's incredible. <laughs> I did not know that. I never thought about that. And that is James Corden, of course, living in England, talking about the Olympics, which are very much in the news because it looks like Japan is getting close to canceling them. Which would be crazy. I mean, Corden had a, a few jokes on the Olympics, which were funny. But it's true. I mean, right? We They, they hold everything for later in the evening so everyone can watch it. Right. And well, I think, th- I think they feel pressure to air most of this stuff live now. But we don't air a lot. You know, we're not doing the biathlon. No. You know, so unless we think we're going to win. I know. Well, now with the yeah, streaming and all of the channels, they do are a little bit more live. But there's right. many other jokes on the Olympics that you might hear throughout the show. So I'm kind of torn, too, about because Beijing has the next Olympics after Japan. And now everyone's saying, how could we possibly go there when millions of Muslims are being kept in concentration camps and they just poison the world? But if we leave China, you know they're not coming here when we host the Olympics in Los Angeles. And maybe the Olympics are done after that. Maybe forever. They got to pick one country, put it in Greece, enough rotating. That's actually a good idea. I'm not surprised. Really? It's, it's 
Thank of you. course you have a good idea, yeah. Brian. And then we have to have the winter leg uh, someplace cold. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of the story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big hour coming your way, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Dan Hoffman, former CIA station chief over in Moscow, as well as Iraq, Pakistan, uh, as well as Southeast Asia and Europe. Uh, He'll be weighing in on this new summit set for June, middle of June, with uh, President Biden and and, uh, Vladimir Putin. Why they're doing it now? What does he do to earn this? I do not know, especially after he called him a killer. And soulless. Nice, not bad. Uh, Jason Riley wrote this great book and has a movie to go along with it, a documentary uh, on Thomas Sowell, one of the deep thinkers, smartest people in America. And he came from meager means. And what he's done is just tremendous. Uh, Jason Riley will be here live. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You may have forgotten over the last couple of years, but this is how diplomacy works. We don't meet with people only when we agree. It's actually important to meet with leaders when we have a range of disagreements, as we do with Russian leaders. So we don't regard the meeting with the Russian president as a reward. Uh, There you go. Uh, Jen Psaki, we don't regard the meeting with Russia as a reward. Well, they are being rewarded for the destructive ways of the Arctic. Our pipeline, remember, those hackers came from Russia to their killing and jailing of dissidents. Remember Navalny? He's still in jail, holding on, clinging to life. President Biden salutes Putin with this summit. One word comes to mind, and it's the word weak. Number two. I think qualified immunity is is essential because one of the most important things for us to do in reforming policing in the United States is to hold police departments and police officers accountable. They're already being held accountable, but not individually. About a year ago, George Floyd's death happened. What has happened since to crime in America, policing in America? Nothing good. No gains, more anger, less cops, Americans less safe. And the discussed police reform is scary bad. We'll discuss. Number one. And since this is a question that keeps being asked, we feel strongly that we should continue with the investigation and go to the next phase of the investigation that the WHO has done. Because we don't know 100% what the origin is, it's imperative that we look and we do an investigation. There you go. The Fauci follies continue. Again, the flip-flops on what we gave, what he gave, what the Wuhan lab got. Why does he still have a job? And why is the Biden administration, depending on the WHO, to find out how this whole pandemic began? And we'll bring some of these cuts back. But we had Josh Rogan on an earlier hour on this very show. It's been the maybe third or fourth time he's been on. Why Josh Rogan? Because he wrote the definitive book on China-U.S. relations during the Trump years. And it ended up skidding into being the biggest story of our lifetimes, the pandemic. You know, this is the World War II of this generation. Then we still don't know how it happened. I can tell you how World War I happened, World War II happened. I can tell you if Hurricane Sandy hits, I can tell you the reasons. This is, this hit us, the plague hit the globe. And we're doing better than almost any country outside China on the planet And we've lost 600,000 people to this disease. Millions have been infected, and we don't know why. And if you brought up the Wuhan virus, the China flu, you were xenophobic, and you were condemned by that outlaw country. Now, 
Dr. Fauci has changed his tune. Listen to what he said. First off, you remember the famous debate he had with Rand Paul about I didn't do gain-of-function research. I never green-lighted it. But look what he did green-light. Cut four. We uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002-2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host. It would have been almost a, a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese uh, uh, scientists. Oh, a modest collaboration of modest, uh, of very respectable scientists who studied how a virus gets from an animal to a human. I don't know. I'm new to this whole biology thing. We all are getting degrees in it, unfortunately. But it sounds like gain-of-function research, but not according to Dr. Fauci. Cut five. There was nothing in the grant application and or granting of the purpose of the grant and the description of the grant that would call for what is referred to as gain-of-function. Gain-of-function meaning taking a virus that could infect humans and making it either more transmissible and or pathogenic to humans. That categorically was not done. How do you know? How do you know? Did you have a camera in the Wuhan lab and you know it wasn't done? You have shown no curiosity to finding out. And other people have a different sense. And we know about the three researchers through non-American intelligence that were, were hospitalized with the same symptoms in November, a month before they, for we had our patient zero, supposedly. So one lawmaker, Congressman Warren Davidson, has proposed the FIRED Act Fauci's incompetent fire Fauci act, his incompetence, early dismissal uh, to um, uh, of the virus, the dangers here, the masking, how often he's been uh, wrong and recently uncovered the one point one million dollars in U.S. taxpayer funding was sent to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Uh, says that Fauci should be fired, along with his mixed messaging. I think he's terrible, overrated, and I am mystified why all he does is media and he's never working. He comes and just does uh, what I think is uh, just does virology jazz, just bouncing around between theories. Remember, he had those brawls, and you wonder where Anthony Fauci, uh, why he was so defensive with Rand Paul and what Rand Paul knew. Why Rand Paul goes, you shouldn't be wearing two masks, and he was right. Why Rand Paul says, I'm not wearing a mask because I have the uh, antibodies, and he was right. Why he was uh, new about the Wuhan Institute, and it turns out he was right. Tom Cotton was right all along and knows where we should go from here. A legitimate investigation. Cut eight. The media last year was singing a very different tune. Uh, that's because I was pointing out that common sense says this virus probably came from those labs. I mean, it originated just a few blocks down the road from them in a city larger than New York, not exactly known for its large bat population. Uh, but because the media do doesn't Trump, like my like, politics I mean, and because point. President Trump said the same thing, the media I mean, lied and they spun and they covered up for the Chinese Communist Party, in effect. Um, there needs to be an accounting for all of the uh, reporting last spring that denied this reality now that almost every mainstream outlet is acknowledging that not only is it 
possible. It's probably the case that this came from a laboratory in Wuhan. I just don't understand why President Biden wouldn't use an opportunity to do something bipartisan and say, we got to find out how this happened. Nobody would be upset. If Tom Cotton got praise, it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen to Joe Biden. If Donald Trump got praise for the, for the vaccine, it wouldn't be the worst thing to happen to Joe Biden. He would benefit uh, exponentially, no doubt about it. Since I'm going to be doing Russia with Daniel Hoffman, I want to skip and do police reform, if we can. When they're talking about getting rid of the no-knock warrants, I am not for that. When they talk about getting rid of quality, um, uh, qualified immunity, I am not for that. I don't want a cop making $50,000 being sued because some uh, would-be suspect thinks he was roughed up. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I don't want him losing everything. And suing a precinct that is already probably hamstrung with money, I'm not too convinced that that's going to work. I think that's a no-go for Republicans. And I think that maybe Democrats know about this. Hopefully, Tim Scott will not give up on either of those, or those issues. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham, cut 20. I just think that that really is very dangerous to policing to change, you know. As you've seen, there's been a rare, robust accountability system at the state level. I, I, you know, they want to water down the, the liability, you know, U.S. attorneys with political agendas to take advantage that that would be would be very problematic. Yeah, there you go. Lindsey Graham. You and Omar are not stopping there. Not only does she want to not uh, have quali- want qualified immunity, she says on the anniversary of the death of George Floyd, I want to remind all of us that we're still searching for justice for Floyd. Convicting his killer isn't enough. True justice can only come from dismantling the systems that allowed him to die. Right. 200 cops and defunding and billions of dollars taken out of the Minneapolis police force is not enough. This is a woman coming from an outlaw country and was brought here as a refugee, got status, and all she does is try to run down the country. I could not care less about what she says, but Democrats should pay attention. They seem to be caring more about her than they do about so-called moderate Democrats. Meanwhile, Minneapolis, Minneapolis since in a year, 21% increase. 5,422 violent crimes, 200 less cops. How do you feel about that? 31 homicides already this year. How's it working so far? Congressman Byron Niles, uh, Donald, a African-American congressman rookie uh, in from Florida, said this about now who's susceptible as we look at violent crime rage around the country. Cut 23. He's absolutely right. I got a text from my mom this morning. She still lives in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, mom. And she said, Mm -hmm. point blank, son, you were right last summer. Defunding the police is only going to hurt the inner city. It's only going to help hurt, excuse me, black and brown families because they are the ones who call the police when something goes wrong. That's what happened when I was a young kid in New York City. If something happened, my mom called the police. She didn't call activists. She didn't call politicians. She called the people that were there to protect and serve. And you've already seen that the inner cities who are trying to reverse course right now because they've seen a disaster when crime increases because you have less officers on the street following this radical idea of defunding defunding police. Homicides up in New York, 22%. Same in Chicago. Atlanta up 50%. Portland up 800%. What a year it's been. Please tell me where the good is. 1-866-408-7669. Daniel Hoffman up next. Why did Joe Biden super serve Vladimir Putin a huge cup of prestige? Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You may have forgotten over the last couple of years, but this is how diplomacy works. We don't work together. Uh, we don't meet with people only when we agree. It's actually important to meet with leaders when we have a range of disagreements, as we do with Russian leaders. So we don't regard the meeting with the Russian president as a reward. We regard it as a vital part of defending America's interests. Uh, and President Biden is meeting with Vladimir Putin because of our country's differences, not in spite of them. It's an opportunity to raise concerns where we have them and, again, to move toward a more stable and predictable relationship with the Russian government. So they're going to have a summit June 16th in Switzerland. This is the guy that President Biden said is a killer and has no soul. Uh, and after that, 100,000 troops went to the Ukrainian border. And we know the Vladimir Putin made a sarcastic remark, I wish Joe Biden good health. And I mean that. What does that really mean? Daniel Hoffman knows, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow among many stops in his career, but now with us. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be here. Daniel, is this the way you set up a summit? Well, you know, as the great British Prime Minister Winston Churchill famously opined, meeting jaw to jaw is better than war. So, you know, a summit, even if it's precisely what Putin wants, and make no mistake, this is what Putin wants. It enhances his stature at home and abroad. It's still preferable to the alternative. Uh, you know, Russia's a revisionist uh, power. They're trying to overthrow the international rules-based order. They've got Putin runs an authoritarian kleptocracy, and uh, he's, he's mounted a resurgent uh, and very aggressive foreign policy over the past 20 years. So look at what they've done. You know, you see what happened with that hacker and the, our whole East Coast with that pipeline being brought to its knees, us paying a $5 million ransom. In your opinion, does that thing happen if Vladimir Putin doesn't want it to? Well, it's a really key requirement for our intelligence community because there's a spectrum of possibilities, the least you know, sort of one possibility is that um, that the Kremlin is simply allowing this this cyber hacking group Darkside uh, to enjoy sanctuary on its territory. At the other end, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, Vladimir Putin actually ordered the attack against our critical infrastructure, and so we need to really determine with some degree of confidence uh, what happened. But I kind of liken this to the Taliban giving Al Qaeda sanctuary. If if Darkside enjoys uh, homesteading on Russian territory, then we need to hold Russia accountable. That's going to be one of a number of issues which are really fall into the category of confrontation rather than collaboration that we have to deal with uh, with the Russians. Uh, we know about the dissidents who they don't kill. The Valny uh, is uh, now in jail, near death, some people say. We don't seem to care that much about that. And we don't seem to uh, care much that uh, Belarus, who they seem to be single-handedly propping up, just forced a plane down in their airspace. Yeah, and that's on top of Russia invading and occupying Georgia, being a co-conspirator in Syria and Iran's attacks on civilians in Syria using chemical weapons. And then, as you pointed out, they used chemical weapons, a Soviet nerve agent uh, against, uh, against their oppositionist, Alexei Navalny, invaded Ukraine, annexed Crimea, uh, launched the solar winds, a cyber attack against us. So there's, there's no shortage of, of, uh, of, of again, of, of examples of aggressive Russian foreign policy. We need to, you know, the Biden administration talked about building a stable relationship with the Russians. We need to harden our defenses and remember the lesson from President Reagan, um, who, 
you know, could stare down Secretary Gorbachev and tell him to tear down the wall and that the Soviet Union was an evil empire, countered Soviet expansion worldwide, but then also negotiated comprehensive nuclear arms reductions. So what is the what is a possible what are the hopes for this meeting? What what would you set uh, the sights on? I think a summit has value if President Biden can state clearly and publicly where we see potential for common ground. It might be counterterrorism. It might be maybe uh, on on North Korea, maybe on Afghanistan. Um, you know, the Biden administration wants to find some common ground on climate change. But more, even more importantly than that is to delineate, again, publicly, what are our red lines? And if they're crossed, uh, what sort of decisive action, you know, we're going to take in response. Uh, deterrence relies on the enemy believing that we have the will and the capacity to defend ourselves. And the reason why we're seeing all these attacks, successful attacks, is because Russia is opening the aperture. They're not that concerned about the U.S. response. They can deal with the sanctions. Sanctions have never induced a change in Vladimir Putin's behavior. Absolutely. What would? Uh, We need to confront them. And again, take a lesson from President Reagan, who did confront Russia worldwide. You know, we need to be confronting them in our own hemisphere and overseas using our allies. Uh, We need to mount the sort of cyber attacks with our cyber command that we did in the the lead up to the 2018 midterms uh, when when the Trump administration made it clear that we wouldn't stand for Russian interference in those elections. Uh, That's what we need to be doing against against these rogue cyber hacking groups like DarkSide. Find them, fix them and finish them, just like we do with uh, with non-state terrorist actors. Wow, uh, that's true. Do you think that we've hit them already, Dark Side? I think it's certainly highly likely that we're collecting intelligence on on that and and probably another a number of other hacking groups, and also determining the extent to which they enjoy symbiotic relationships with Russia. And let's also remember that Iran and and, and North Korea and China also have pretty sophisticated hacking uh, ability. Uh, and I think that we're looking at at taking our shots at those um, at those uh, at those hacking groups for sure. Dan, I did not know your wife passed away at the age of 42. What has that been like for you and your family? You know, I wrote a column in Fox News, uh, and it came out the day of our anniversary. would have been our anniversary, May 16th. Um, She fought so hard and so bravely, you know, for over four years. She gave us time as a family, especially me and my two young sons, uh, to process what was going on and adapt and then prepare for a future without her. I always you know, talked about her as the toughest person uh, I ever knew. And I served with a lot of tough guys and, and, and gals uh, overseas in, in, in war zones. But uh, my wife bravely fought cancer and, uh, you know, um, showed us a lot of love all the way up until the very end. So you go to foxnews.com and find out more. I'm just going through the story right now. An amazing fight she put up with, making sure your Christmas was still great without her, your Easter and everything. Uh, Dan, thanks so much. Sorry for your loss. And I'm, uh, I'm glad you were able to talk about it and write about it. Thank you, Brian. Always a pleasure to chat with you. All right, Daniel Hoffman. Coming up next, uh, Jason Riley on A Maverick, the biography of Thomas Sowell. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of my biggest concerns was about minimum wages. At first, I thought, well, this is good because all these people are poor and they'll get a little higher income. And as I studied economics, I began to see, well, there's a downside. They may lose their jobs completely. So when I was at the Labor Department, I tried to talk about that to them. And eventually, I came up with some test of it. And when I came up with how we might test this, I was waiting to hear congratulations, you see, that I had this. And I could see these people were stunned. They said, oh, this, this idiot has stumbled on something that would ruin us all. And I realized the U.S. Department of Labor had its uh, own agenda and interests. And that did not necessarily mean that whether poor people lost their jobs from minimum wages or got higher pay was their highest priority. Well, that is Thomas Sowell, Common Sense in a Senseless World, the name of the documentary, and that is a cut from it. Jason Riley produced it. He also wrote the book Maverick, a biography of Thomas Sowell. And Jason is from the Manhattan Institute, Wall Street Journal columnist and Fox News contributor. Jason, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Brian. Jason, is is part of the reason you want to do this is because Thomas Sowell showed you the direction of being an African-American conservative? Yes, it is partly uh, due to that. I first encountered Sowell uh, back in college in the early 1990s. I was working on the school paper and uh, sitting around with some buddies down at the paper discussing affirmative action. And somebody said, Jason, you sound like Tom Sowell. And I said, who's that? And the guy wrote down a, a name of a book on a sheet of paper, and I took it to the library and checked out that book and read it in, in one sitting. It was called Civil Rights, Rhetoric, or Reality, a book that Sol had written back in the mid-1980s. And I went back the next morning and checked out my uh, college library's entire Thomas Sowell collection and have been hooked, uh, hooked ever since. So, yes, he, he had a tremendous impact on my own uh, development as a journalist uh, and thinking about so many issues, economics, history, uh, and so forth. And, and yes, this, this, this book was part of uh, my way of, uh, of uh, showing my appreciation. So, Jason, a lot of people saying, well, uh, you know, Jason Riley is, uh, okay, he's a conservative. Thomas Sowell's a conservative. What's the big deal? They were born with money, and they decided they liked that edge of society. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, anything like the reality of Thomas Sowell now in his 90s, it's not the America he grew up in. It's not the America he experienced. And it's not the guy he, the conservative Thomas Sowell was not conservative even in college, right? Oh, no, he wasn't, even in graduate school. Even studying under Milton Friedman at the University of Chicago, Thomas Sowell was still a committed Marxist. And you have to realize um, how old he was at the time. Thomas Sowell didn't get his undergraduate degree from Harvard until he was 28 years old. He was a high school dropout. He did a stint in the Marines during the Korean War and then went to college on the GI Bill. But he never got that undergraduate degree until he was in his late 20s. So uh, throughout his entire 20s, he was still a Marxist, even after studying under, under Milton Friedman. As, as we heard in the clip from the film, um, it was a job in government that, that changed his mind uh, about Marxism and socialism. It wasn't... Uh, being uh, indoctrinated by uh, by Milton Friedman or, or anybody else, it was simply life experience, and he did have a, a, a tough upbringing. He was born in, during the Depression in the Jim Crow South. Uh, he moved north to Harlem with his family. He was about nine years old, uh, but he had a rough upbringing, and um, uh, he did not come from money. He did not come from from privilege. Uh, and, and but he, he he's you know he's been up front and said, listen, uh, I I took advantage of the opportunities I did have. And that's what he encourages other people to do today. So systematic racism is not something he subscribes to, even though he grew up in the Jim Crow South, when Jim Crow was around, I should say. 
Right. He experienced uh, uh, systemic racism under Jim Crow, um, and, and he does not deny that racism exists. What he says is that today racism is not the major barrier to black advancement. It is not the, the, the best explanation of why we have racial disparities today. Uh, other things are going on, uh, and we don't spend enough time talking about those other things, such as people not taking advantage of opportunities he never had to take advantage of. Uh, he talks about the debilita debilitating uh, cultural uh, considerations, um, attitudes towards education, uh, law enforcement, and so forth, as being much, much bigger barriers to uh, advancement today than whatever uh, amount yeah. of racism remains. But it's how you handle it. So let's say there is Jim Crow South, and let's say there, it is easier to be white or Hispanic than black or a, a male than a woman. Isn't America about overcoming, making systems better, rather than protesting and burning it down? Ab absolutely. I mean, it, it, black people in America today are still the richest and most successful uh, black people on the planet. In fact, the, the disparity in incomes between people who live in Eastern Europe and Western Europe is greater than the black-white disparity in America. And in Europe, you're talking about mostly people of the same race. So, so yes, America has its problems, but there is no doubt uh, that this is the best place for blacks to advance. And, and it's what blacks have done uh, throughout their history in this country. This focus on, on, on victimization is, is really for political reasons. It's for ideological reasons that this is being pushed. And it's, it's quite divorced from the reality of the progress that this country has made and that blacks have made. No question. Here's more from your documentary, Cut 45. Thomas Sowell talking about how helping is hurting. Cut 45. Most people have not recognized the fact that, in, that if you go back into the 20s, you find that married couple families were much more prevalent among blacks then than today. As late as 1930, blacks had lower unemployment rates than whites. So all these things that we complain about and, and attribute to the era of slavery, those things should have been worse in the past than in the present. But in fact, they're worse in the present than in the past. And I think if you want to look for a turning point, it would be since the 1960s. And what happened in the 1960s? You began to have not only the welfare state, you began to have the mindset that goes with the welfare state so that there was no stigma any, any longer attached, for example, to being on relief or welfare. And the family got destroyed. Uh, is it total reverse? 80% of, of African-American families were nuclear families and now only 20%? It's, it's a, tremendous, a tremendous turnaround that has taken place, and so much else flows from that. When you, when you, when you, uh, what you associate with fatherless homes, you know, more teen pregnancy, more violent neighborhoods, more involvement with the criminal justice system, more drug abuse, more alcohol abuse, more domestic violence, all of these things are associated with the breakdown of the family, and that's what happened in the 1960s. And so what he's really saying in that clip is that a lot of what the left attributes to the legacy of slavery or the legacy of Jim Crow should really be attributed to the legacy of the 1960s Great Society welfare expansions. That was the real tipping point. It's just that we got, we've gotten totally away from it. Everyone throws the word Marxist around, uh, and whether it's true or not. Somebody else brought it up, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer. He basically got fired from the Space Force, knocked out of command because he pushed back on this critical race theory. Listen to what uh, he said uh, is happening in our military Cut 42. The kinds of things that you see in the Cultural Revolution 
in Mao's Cultural Revolution, 1966, are a mirror reflection of what we saw over the past year in this country. You've got people standing in the streets with raised fists, demanding that others bow down and apologize for their privilege, apologize for what race or group they belong to. They shut down schools, all the while allowing people to gather in so-called peaceful protests. And when they do that, they claim that they're all peaceful, and then they inevitably turn violent because the shouting gets people's blood boiling, of course. And, when, and that's the whole intent of all the shouting, is to get people's blood boiling. And so everything that you see taking place in this country is playbook Marxism. Do you see it the same way? Oh, he's absolutely right, and 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 kudos to him for saying it out loud. Uh, this whole idea that all black problems can be blamed on white people and are the responsibility of white people to solve is ridiculous. And and there's no evidence that keeping the focus on whites will do anything to help black people. It may give people some catharsis or some emotional release, but there's no evidence that it will do anything to help lift the black poor. Do anything for upward mobility. The sort of wallowing in victimhood that is going on today. I understand why it's going on. It helps the activists raise money. It helps Democratic politicians get elected. It's a power grab. It's about a way of staying relevant. You know, if you're the NAACP, why are you ever going to acknowledge that there's less racism today? You're putting yourself out of business. So they're never going to do that. Black Lives Matter activists are going to keep blaming things on police, even though police make up, you know, the police involved shootings are a tiny percentage of all shootings. The idea that, that we should be having a debate about police shootings instead of about non-police shootings, which are about 98% of all shootings, is ridiculous. But we're having these discussions because they're not really about addressing problems. They're about certain groups trying to stay relevant, uh, certain uh, parties trying to stay in office and in power and so forth. So how do we, uh, how do we get your documentary? The documentary is available at uh, the website Soul Film, S-O-W-E-L-L, soulfilm.com. Uh, you can see it on YouTube, on Amazon, on Vimeo. Uh, so th- there, there are a number of ways to, to watch the, the documentary. And, uh, and of course, Maverick, uh, biography of Thomas Sowell. Lastly, Jason, what does he think about what's happening today? Is he concerned? Is he as concerned as I am and you appear to be? Oh, he's, he's, he's absolutely concerned. And, 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 and Tom's not the, the most optimistic guy. He's, he's a pretty pessimistic guy. So, um, so he, he's, I'm sure he's, he's upset and angry at what he sees going on. Because, you know, he's a historian. Uh, he's someone who has studied the past. And he's seen a lot of these things, uh, these trends. He's seen them come and go before, you know, uh, the black power movement uh, reincarnated today in terms of uh, black, black Lives Matter. He's, he's seen socialism tried all over the world. So, so that's what I think makes it especially depressing to someone who knows the history and knows where all of this is headed. And we see now a year since George Floyd's uh, death. What's better? Exactly. Exactly. Nothing. Um, I mean, nothing. Nothing is better. And, and why would it be? Why would blaming problems on police uh, help improve policing in communities? No, it's going to do the opposite. It's going to make police pull back. So now police departments are having trouble recruiting, and the criminals are having the run of the place. I mean, we could have seen this coming uh, from miles away. Jason, congratulations on a book. Great subject, great topic. And uh, at 92, he's still extremely relevant. And I wish more people were listening to him. Uh, Jason, thank you. 
Thank you, Brian. Go get them. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. When we come back, we'll look at the phones on police reforms. What's better a year ago? What do you think needs to be changed, if anything? Number two, we've got to find a way to get more money in the system uh, to get the training better and get them paid more. And number three, we like to talk about what's happening with this COVID-19 investigation. More and more people are trying to find out answers. Will President Biden ever? Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The Tokyo Summer Olympics are scheduled to begin in less than two months, but due to an increase in COVID cases, the State Department has now warned Americans against traveling to Japan, which means I have to officially withdraw from the 100 meters. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, That's James Corden having some fun with a small audience and his whole crew written up like a a radio show. But it is kind of sad that Japan is having so much trouble getting anybody to come to the Olympics. I want the athletes to compete, put it on television. I'm fine with that. I mean, who hears the crowd in swimming, equestrian? Well, you know, come on, Uh, have the games. But I don't understand where is Japan when it comes to the vaccine. That makes no sense. They're so organized when they were attacking the virus with testing. Where's the vaccine? And why don't we send some over to them to allow them time to vaccinate more people before the Olympics? I mean, if we want an ally, don't you think that would be the ally uh, uh, that we help out? Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. Wrestling star and movie star John Cena getting ridiculed and uh, justifiably, too, he made the mistake, and it's a horrible mistake. Hold your ears. Call Taiwan a country saying that his, his movie will be seen first. It's called F9 in that country. And quickly, Red China was all insulted to the point where he scrambled and started apologizing in fluent Mandarin. I'll play a little bit of it, but there's no closed caption on radio. He's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But he never mentioned what he was sorry about. So it's the island of Formosa that becomes Taiwan when Chiang Kai-shek is forced out of the country by this guy Mao Zedong, a brutal brutal communist. And that's the story. They're in Taiwan. Taiwan is thriving. We watch their back. We recognize Red China. And now they end up on the Security Council. That's been the situation, the status quo. Now if you mention Taiwan, they go to pull your movies. We saw H&M. Uh, clothing get threatened. We saw Apple get threatened. We saw Nike get threatened. When is anyone going to stand up to China? Ben Shapiro writes, Taiwan is a country. Hong Kong should be free. If you're unwilling to say these things because it might hurt your bottom line, you are a pathetic coward. John Senna, huge, uh, big athlete. He does look pathetic. Keith Oberman, who I thought had gone on to doing other things, maybe working the fields on a small farm where you can't ever hear of him or, or hear from him, we managed to tweet this out. Taiwan is a country and a democracy. You just apologize to a dictatorship. 
the hypocrisy of Hollywood that we talk about all the time. It just doesn't stop. It's great. They're the first ones to say America is the most awful country in the world. But then within seconds, they probably have a dialect coach to have perfect, perfect man. It's unbelievable that LeBron James in the NBA kowtowed and collapsed under China pressure. Yet they were quick to criticize us, take a knee during the national anthem and spray paint Black Lives Matter on a court and put it on our embassies around the world. Next. Charles Barkley says Tim Tebow, quarterback, Florida, quarterback, didn't work out with the Patriots, the Eagles, or the Broncos, will get a tight end tryout with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Here's what the basketball player said. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to just pick up another position. Listen, Tim's such a good dude. But, you know, a lot of people don't like Tim because of his religion. He wears it on his sleeve. I don't care about that. I, I like the kid. But I don't think he can just come pick up another position. Yeah, I think he'll just be disrespectful to Jock saying, oh, I haven't played football, but I can come and be a pro at it. I just think that's impossible, personally. I think that some of the guys, listen, need to just ease up. If he makes it, I don't know if he can make it. But come on, man. That's worse things going on than Tim Tebow. Well, that's true, and people say, well, why doesn't uh, Kaepernick get a shot? Kaepernick is blew his only tryout. He has no interest in playing. He doesn't even work out. It's totally different. Tim Tebow just left baseball after leaving football. Let's see what happens. Evidently, looked good in the tryout. Everyone thought he was going to be a tight end coming out, thought he should have been a tight end coming out of school anyway. And you know what? If the Jaguars put him on the roster and say he really shouldn't be on the roster, well, guess what? Then the Jaguars are going to suffer by being a terrible football team. Next, Seth Rogen wants comedians to stop complaining about cancel culture. Listen, cut 46. In my Twitter, I've never made a joke that's, like, outwardly horrific in some way. And if you have, I would question why you did that, you know? And saying terrible things is bad. So if you said something terrible, then that's something you should confront in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't think that's cancel culture. That's you saying something terrible, if, if, if that's what you've done. No, it's not something terrible. You test the barometers. You have fun. You have to, people have to have a sense of humor. There's no more sense of humor in this country. If Dave Chappelle has got a problem... Uh, and Chris Rock has a problem. I believe Seth Rogen, who doesn't do stand-up, has scripted stuff, should not be commenting on what they do for a living. But guess what? He just threw down the challenge. How much time do you think it is before someone now comes after him for something he said that was offensive? Great point. I mean, I don't watch a lot of his stuff, but doesn't he live on the offensive side? Yeah, he makes ridiculous jokes. He's always high. I mean, his movies are entertaining, but to think, you know... I'm just curious what his comments going to be when they come after him. I, I just know all he does is brag about the fact that uh, we have enough kids in this world. He doesn't want any more kids. And he wants to give the pot a better image. If that's your two goals, go, congratulations. Um, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. BrianKilmeade.com. Order any of my books. Not about Seth Rogen. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 Tom Cotton is standing up, uh, ready to go. Uh, he stands six foot four inches, so I don't want to keep him waiting too long. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour, and she'll be ta- previewing her show that begins at 3. Big interview yesterday with Rand Paul. Got more death threats. It's going on all Republicans just to give up Twitter. It's where a lot of these threats are coming from. 
Meanwhile, we're coming to you from New York, which is uh, crime is up uh, over 100 percent in a year. We're looking at a situation where crime is up in over every major city, nowhere higher than Portland, where it's up 800 percent. Man, uh, is this a rough time to be in America in a major city anyway as we come out of this pandemic. Uh, Meanwhile, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You may have forgotten over the last couple of years, but this is how diplomacy works. We don't meet with people only when we agree. It's actually important to meet with leaders when we have a range of disagreements, as we do with Russian leaders. So we don't regard the meeting with the Russian president as a reward. Really? They do. Russia rewarded for all their destructive ways from the Arctic to our pipeline hack to their killing and jailing of their dissidents. President Biden salutes Vladimir Putin, the man without a soul. Remember, one word comes to mind, weak. Number two. I think qualified immunity is is essential because one of the most important things for us to do in reforming policing in the United States is to hold police departments and police officers accountable. Right. I thought you like I thought you like unions, Karen Bass. Would you don't you love the teachers union? Why not the police union? About a year ago since George Floyd's death, what has happened to crime in America, policing in America? Nothing good. No gains, more anger, less cops, more Americans, less safe. And the discussed police reform is scary bad. We'll discuss. Number one. And since this is a question that keeps being asked, we feel strongly that we should continue with the investigation and go to the next phase of the investigation that the WHO has done. Because we don't know 100% what the origin is, it's imperative that we look and we do an investigation. Thank you, Dr. Fauci. Why does he still have a job? The Fauci follies continue. Again, the flip-flop on what we gave, what we have, and what we gave to the Wuhan lab. Why does he still work at the NIH? And why is the Biden administration, depending on the WHO, to find out how this whole pandemic began? And before I welcome in my next guest, I want to bring back in a previous appearance he had. And the year was 2020. The date was January 22nd. We're in the middle of We didn't know it yet, but we're being slammed by a pandemic, a COVID-19 virus. And here's what Senator Tom Cotton said about its origins and the danger. Cut 10. Brian, there's still a lot unknown, but here's what we do know. The Chinese Communist Party has once again been caught red-handed, covering up, suppressing and censoring a serious public health risk, which could increasingly be a global public health, health risk. For weeks, uh, China did not come clean about the coronavirus that they first said was only being passed from animals to human in a uh, seafood market in Wuhan in China. But now we know, uh, because they finally come clean to an extent, not fully, that it is increasingly being passed from person to person. We had our first U.S. confirmed U.S. case happen just in the last couple of days, and it is spreading around the globe. This is very much like what happened with SARS about 15 years ago, and China has learned nothing and they've concealed almost everything. And it got so much worse than SARS. Senator Tom Cotton, do you remember that appearance, or has it been just too many to remember? Hey, Brian, it's good to be on with you. I do remember that appearance in part because we were right in the middle of the impeachment trial, which meant I didn't have the opportunity to go to the Senate floor and speak about this matter. Uh, So I took the opportunity to use programs like yours to sound the alarm when the rest of Washington was obsessed about that impeachment trial. Um, I have to say, I I wish I hadn't been proven right on any of these matters, Um, but uh, regrettably I was, and we've gone through the worst pandemic in a century. 
um, with devastating effect for the lives and the livelihoods and the education of so many Americans. And uh, it's high time uh, to see the mainstream media finally coming around and acknowledging what I said from the very beginning, that you don't really need scientific expertise to just use your common sense and say, gosh, isn't it an amazing coincidence that this virus originated in a city larger than New York, which just happens to house laboratories where Chinese scientists research dangerous coronaviruses? What a shocking coincidence. Uh, it, well, I mean, it's so obvious now. Then I didn't know about I couldn't name many cities, to be honest, in China. I've never been there. I'm not curious to go there. But you knew that Wuhan, the virus, where it happened, we saw these horrific scenes of people being dragged into cars. A whistleblower come forward, he ends up dead. They said he died of the virus. I still doubt that. And then we try to find out why Anthony Fauci wasn't more curious about it. And then what, what was Rand Paul getting at when he said, uh, when he said that there was uh, some type of risky experiments going on and, uh, and that he knew all about it? In fact, America was financing it. And I could not believe I'm watching this fight go on. And then Anthony Fauci just denies it. But then he said this yesterday, cut four. We uh, had a big scare with SARS-CoV-1 back in 2002, 2003, where that particular virus unquestionably went from a bat to an intermediate host. It would have been almost a, a dereliction of our duty if we didn't study this. And the only way you can study these things is you've got to go where the action is. So we had a modest collaboration with very respectable Chinese uh, uh, scientists. So instead of those unrespectable guys with tie dyes and nose rings, we gave money to respectable scientists <laughs> where the action was in Wuhan. Man, was there action in Wuhan. Do you see what he's doing, Senator? Um, where he's backpedaling fiercely and covering his tracks. You know, Dr. Fauci has been playing word games to the point of misleading the American people for several weeks now. It is a well-documented public fact that his agency and the National Institutes of Health gave hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to an American organization, which then turned right around and funneled it straight to these labs in Wuhan. It is secondly well-documented that uh, that money supported the so-called bat lady, the Chinese scientist that researches bat-based coronaviruses in making those viruses more contagious and therefore more dangerous. So there's no question that Dr. Fauci's agency did in fact give American tax dollars to support so-called gain-of-function research in these labs. Now that he's been caught in public on this after having denied it for all these weeks, he is backpedaling in that clip you just said, trying to justify it. The final part of this piece, though, Brian, is remember that the Obama White House in 2014 ordered a moratorium on this kind of very risky research, and this funding went out the door after that moratorium was uh, imposed. So a next question we need to ask is, did Dr. Fauci and his agency violate at least the spirit, if not the letter, of President Obama's own directive, because this has the potential to be a major scandal. And what Dr. Fauci has been doing for the last few weeks is, again, engaging in word games to the point of misleading the American people, right. all in an effort to protect himself and his reputation and his agency and his counterparts in places like the Wuhan Labs or the World Health Organization, who are little more than politicians and activists in White lab coats. By the way, did you have you heard? Did you hear that before? Had you heard that soundbite? 
Uh, I had heard his testimony yesterday. Okay. Uh, he is also testifying, I think, at this very moment. I'm not on the committee in which he, at which he's testifying, and uh, I've got another committee I'd, hearing I just stepped out of. But I'll be very eager to hear what he said today in front of a Senate committee. And just so you know, that organization is called Echo Health. The nonprofit received $3.7 million in grant money. 600000 of Echo Health money went to the Wuhan Institute. Now, just for the record, I'm going to let Anthony Fauci tell you that gain-of-function research is not what he was doing. Cut five. There was nothing in the grant application and or granting of the purpose of the grant and the description of the grant that would call for what is referred to as gain of function. Gain of function meaning taking a virus that could infect humans and making it either more transmissible and or pathogenic to humans. That categorically was not done. Does that make uh, you feel better? No, I mean, Brian, okay, so this, raises, this raises another question. Okay, so the so-called bat lady, the Chinese scientist who conducted all this research, explicitly thanked Dr. Fauci's agency in writing for supporting this kind of research. Um, and, and if he's saying that that money was not intended for such research or he or his agency was not aware of that research, then he needs to answer for why they had such lax oversight in place. Why did they not know where their hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxpayer grants were going and what kind of research they were doing? So again, every time he engages in these word games and tries to dodge accountability for what has happened, uh, with this grant money, uh, he simply raises another set right. of uncomfortable questions that he has to address. So I know you respect Josh. I think you respect Josh Rogan's work on this whole China thing. And he does talk comprehensively as China infiltrated every aspect of American life. And Australia was the first they went after, it seems. Australia is trying to tell us that getting into your universities, they're getting into your school systems, they're getting into politics. They are lobbying above board and beyond board. And they were beginning to uncover that on the Trump years when the pandemic hit. It's all in his book. So Josh joined us a half hour ago. You have not heard this yet, but tell me what you think. Cut 54. There's a lot of talk about Fauci and the NIH and that contract to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What listeners have to understand is that that's one tiny fraction of the U.S. taxpayer dollars that were going to the, these Wuhan labs, not just the, this lab, a whole bunch of labs. And that came through USAID, the National Science Foundation, the Defense Department, uh, the Homeland Security Department, the intelligence community, and many other agencies. So when Fauci gives his very lawyerly denial, this particular contract didn't fund this research, that's true or accurate on its face, but it's misleading because it obscures the bigger picture, which is that we had lots and lots of collaborations with these Wuhan labs on this risky virus research, and it doesn't matter if Fauci calls it gain of function or says it's not gain of function, it was right. risky and we didn't keep an eye on it. And if that's how the pandemic broke out, then Fauci is going to have to answer a lot of tough questions, no matter what he called it. So, you know, he doesn't, the Washington Post doesn't wake up every day trying to take down Anthony Fauci. That's Josh Rogan of the Washington Post. Yeah, no, I respect Josh's reporting on this, and he has a book out uh, about China. And some of his reporting helped expose some of the things we knew early about this uh, laboratory. Like, our diplomats went there in 2018 and were shocked by the lax safety practices they saw. And Josh is right that all of uh, the word games in which Dr. Fauci engages simply raise more questions. Lastly, this, I know you've got to get back to your committee meeting, but just on this summit on June 16th, it was two, a few weeks ago where – President Biden said the Vladimir Putin has no soul and he's a killer. All right, fine. Uh, since that time, he has uh, he, his country gave us the hack, if not him directly, the agency that did it, the dark, uh, the dark agency, that dark group that did it, uh, brought the east coast of 
of, uh, of America's uh, oil and gas uh, to its knees. Then we know what they're doing in Georgia on a regular basis. We know they have the, the Nord Stream 2 bypasses Ukraine and goes right through Western Europe. We know everything that they uh, are doing. Are they worthy of a summit? So they're certainly not worthy of a summit, Brian, in the context of what you just outlined. Look, uh, Joe Biden can get all chesty and call Vladimir Putin a killer, but from the moment he took office, he has been bending over backward to appease and accommodate Russia. You know, Joe Biden, like the rest of the Democrats, you know, acted like they were a latter-day Jack Ryan from a Tom Clancy Cold War novel for the last four years towards Russia, all for crass political reasons. But as soon as Joe Biden takes power, what's he do? He extends the nuclear uh, arms control treaty known as New START, which is a badly one-sided treaty in Russia's favor, which is Vladimir Putin's number one policy priority. And then he looks the other way as Vladimir Putin builds his pipeline to Germany, uh, which is uh, a deep betrayal of our allies in Eastern Europe, which is Vladimir Putin's number two foreign policy objective. And he explicitly acknowledges that he pulled his punches and didn't impose uh, very tough sanctions because of all the cyber attacks on American companies and infrastructure. Uh, so in the context of that kind of weakness and accommodation, no, it's not smart to be sitting down with Vladimir Putin. If he had come into office and he had actually taken a firm hand and said that we're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior, then that'd be one thing. Uh, but when he's gone out of his way and reverted to the Democrats' old uh, habits of appeasing Russia and coddling uh, their dictator, we shouldn't be sitting down at a summit with him. But you got to go sit down in a committee meeting. Senator Tom Cotton, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Uh, listen, we come back. Martha McCallum joins us and we take your calls. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think qualified immunity is is essential because one of the most important things for us to do in reforming policing in the United States is to hold police departments and police officers accountable. If you get everything except eliminating qualified immunity, will you ask your colleagues to support the bill? Well, I'm not prepared to do that. I am not prepared to do that. I think qualified immunity is essential to be in the bill. Karen Bassett, California, leading the charge along with Cory Booker and Tim Scott on the right uh, to get police reform. Martha McCallum with me, host of the story. Uh, Martha, I'm not going to sway the witness. I don't like anything in this police reform that I'm seeing. I, I'm, I'm all for coming together, but I don't see how any qualified immunity, no-knock warrants, um, I don't see how this is going to help things. Yeah, well, I go back to the work that you did, which was so well done, uh, riding along with police officers and going in to watch their training. Nassau County and Police when Department. I saw it, yeah, it was really very eye-opening. And as you know, a person who's not a police officer, when I wa- followed the Breonna Taylor case and thought about no-knock warrants, I know Rand Paul was doing work against no-knock warrants, right? But when I saw the interpretation that was shown to you in the police training, it 
opened up a whole other side of it that, you know, these police officers put themselves in severe danger. They don't know what they're walking into when they don't have the ability to have the element of surprise. So, um, you know, I, I just can't help but think that the, the best police reform comes at watching people on the job, comes at knowing who they are before they become police officers to the greatest extent that you can. I mean, I think of Derek Chauvin. He had 17 complaints against him. So, you know, I, I feel like any other industry, any other profession – um, the, the screening has to come on an individual basis. So uh, so what you're referring to is what they do is the Nassau County trains nonstop. That's a, yeah. it's, it's a county right outside New York City. And they're, they're high-paid, well-trained, and they take great pride in it. They're not perfect. Nobody, no police department is. But um, I think there was uh, – so what they did is cut the top off a house, and they put us on top of the house, and they observe. And this is what their commanders do. So they knock on the door, and inside of three would-be drug dealers, they're cops – and one's on the couch, one's hanging out, and then they don't knock on the door. They break in. They say, this is police. Drop it. And they all have guns. If these guys are armed drug dealers, why do you want to knock on the door and say, this is the U.S. Marshals. Open up. They don't. And when they walk in, they kill all the assailants. But um, they kill all the assailants, but they had bullets flying at them, and they end up uh, almost every single time. It was paintballs. Every single time they end up surviving. They end up dead. So it's almost better. Now, maybe you want to go through the Breonna Taylor situation. They went to the wrong house. Maybe that's the problem. It's the training. It's the judges or green lighting. Many, many of these, maybe they aren't strict enough. But I want a cop at the table, a retired, respected officer, black, white, Hispanic, at the table. You tell me what helps. You know what they do say? More money to small precincts, more money for pay, better recruiting, more training. Takes more money to get more training. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that um, the more that people train – the, the better they're going to be, the sharper they're going to be. You compare it to military training, for example, just over and over and over again, these drills. But then I think about uh, the, the woman, the police officer who shot the 15-year-old um, in a car stop because he tried to pull away and tried to take, you know, tried to take off with the car. Uh, and she thought she was pulling her taser. She yelled, taser, 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 and it was her gun. So I think training is extraordinarily important in these situations. You know, I can't help but think when you look at this, Tim Scott had a pretty good plan. He was willing to give them as many amendments as they wanted to go forward with police reform. So um, I, I'm not sure that Washington's place to solve this. Right. We'll find out next week, I think. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. People care about getting to the bottom of the crisis so that we can prevent the next one. And I think if the Biden administration decided, which it has not yet decided to do, to to actually lead that effort and not palm it off to the WHO, which Biden people privately admit to me they know is going to be a dead end. They know it's 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 a fool's errand because the WHO is not set up for that. It's not because they're not nice people. It's because they don't have the power to do it. But we do. And if the Biden administration would lead, if America would lead, I assure you the rest of the world would follow. Josh Rogan, his book, uh, his book, very successful. He was writing about China before it turned into a pandemic. It was a good book anyway. But while he said, while everybody was focusing on Russia, I said to the Washington Post, my editor, just give me China. Mm -hmm. And he focused on China. So he writes the book and ends up being a different book now that the pandemic hit. And now that it's he's outraged and he tries to stay political. And for the most part, that's what I've noticed, Martha McCallum, as you get to said host your show, said to host your show at three, is it. 
He is just exasperated that nobody cared about the origin. Now everybody cares about the origin. And now he does not understand why the Biden administration isn't doing what he just said. Pursue it hard. There's no politics in this. We're all behind you. What is the problem? Yeah, what is the problem? I mean, when you look at when, when I think about what Joe Biden just said, the, the president just said about Putin and the Columbia pipeline, oh, you know, within 24 hours, oh, we've checked it out. They had nothing to do with it. How right? could that be? So then with China, they're essentially saying the same thing about the pandemic. So this is the way we're going to write our relationships and stabilize, as Jen Psaki said yesterday, we're going to stabilize our relationships with Russia, stabilize our relationships with China because they were just so askew and so out of whack under the Trump administration. That's the assumption that they're making. So I can't, but it seems to me that stabilizing our relationships is turning a blind eye to them. That I guess that's how you stabilize them. If you, if you just don't investigate, it's incredible to me. I wouldn't mind if you're telling me for public purpose, you know, sometimes diplomats can't say the whole truth. If you're telling me that, you know, we're going to look into We don't think right. Vladimir Putin knew. But if you find out, according to sources, the CIA is going hard to find out. And all of a sudden, that uh, that website where they were actually advertising for people to help them hack other groups disappears. And all of a sudden, you hear an arrest in the background. I'm fine if the CIA has got to work in dark areas, pun included, uh, pun intended, to go grab ISIS out of Oregon and grab somebody else out of Siberia. I'm okay. You, do what you have to do. I understand it. But I sense weak and weak, weak publicly, weak privately, weak secretly. You're trying to gut our whole military at the same time we're being threatened like never before, subtly. And I looked at this, too. Our enemies must be saying this is going better than we ever dreamed of. The Russia investigation was better than Vladimir Putin could ever have thought. And now this pandemic, we're actually standing up a country and still fighting over it. And the people that are to blame are laughing about it. You know, I read an, a piece today in China's Global Times, um, an editorial in the China Global Times, so you can imagine. Um, you Which know, China uh, owns it's that state-run yeah, newspaper. State-run, state-run media. Um, basically saying that Dr. Fauci has now gone to the dark side, that he is part of the deteriorating morality of the United States because now he's questioning um, whether or not it came from a natural source. Today I have on the story um, David Asher. He was part. He was the lead investigator in the State Department in, under Mike Pompeo in the State Department investigation into the origins of the COVID probe. Their job, they were looking into whether or not there is a role for China's biological weapons program in any way in this pandemic. They were working very hard on getting to the bottom of this. They have now been disbanded by the Biden administration. They are no longer functioning in that capacity. They've moved it over to the NSC. So I'm going to talk to David Asher today because they were doing exactly what you're talking about. We weren't privy to the fact that this investigation was going on in the State Department. And Asher, just so people know that he, you know, appears to be very credible, he spent 25 years under different presidents, different administrations, doing investigations. He investigated AQ Khan's nuclear uh, network. Uh, he's investigated the biggest international drug cartels, um, money laundering. This is what he does. He gets to the bottom of international um, international wrongdoing and espionage, and that's what he was digging into. So we're going to find out why he's now out of a job. Pompeo put that committee together because he wasn't convinced the bureaucracy was capable or willing to investigate. Mm -hmm. But this is how John Cena, to me, makes this thing come full circle and why it matters. John Cena, the NBA... Anthony Fauci, we are all, because we're capitalists by trade and 
Uh, people want to be successful. They're using our capitalist instincts against us. Why does John Cena apologize to China? Is he pro-communist? No. All he sees is billions of people who are going to see his movie. Right. Why does H&M apologize? Why is Nike apologizing after they condemn a concentration camp which condemns Muslims? You know, why does the GM of the Houston Rockets get condemned for showing support for Hong Kong? Money. Money and marketplace, whether they make their products there or whether we want to sell them there, we've given up our conscience and our soul. How do we get it back? You have to have a come to Jesus moment. You have to say that, you know, it is time to decouple from China to the greatest degree that we can. This is working. You know, we... We bent over backwards, going back to Nixon and China, right, to, to sort of have the philosophy that if you incorporate China into the international global system, open up the Kissinger. economy, it will shed light. The, you know, it will filter down to all the people of China. They'll want democracy as well. Well, that never happened. So this, this experiment has blown up in our faces, essentially, over the course of the last 45 years plus. And it's time to, it's time to do a complete reevaluation. They're... You know, they're taking advantage of us in pretty much every way, military, economic, cyber, everything. And when when this when we do force the Biden administration uh, to do something and when 60 minutes does something a month ago, come on, Peter Danzig, who's the American scientist who's totally compromised. Jamie Metzl was on that show. Jamie Metzl was an advisor to the Clinton administration, advisor of the WHO. He says, I'm a progressive Democrat, but you guys are the only ones who are pursuing this. These are the ones that are going to get the credit. And Tom Cotton. First day out of the box, he said, there's no way that Wuhan Institute uh, lab has nothing to do with this. I'm not buying the bad story. So I want you to hear what Jamie Metzl said April 1st on why we need to get to the bottom of this. Cut 11. Well, this this, uh, virus that was taken from that cave, it's called RATG13, is the closest known genetic relative to SARS-CoV-2. It's probably not the backbone of SARS-CoV-2. But we know that people, researchers from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, had multiple trips to that mine and collected many different viruses, including bad coronaviruses. And it's possible and even quite likely um, that there were other viruses, possibly even more closely genetically related um, to SARS-CoV-2. But what's happened? The, uh, The databases from the Wuhan Institute of Virology have vanished. No one has access to them, including this international committee that said they were going to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and and, uh, and asking questions. This is how desperate he is. I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one. He direct tweeted me, and he said, because we were asking the questions, he's like, I could come on. And then he was on, he came on with us first, and then he ends up on uh, 60 Minutes. We gave, we gave him the publicity that 60 Minutes clearly wanted. Uh, but this is what he's pushing and conjoling. You flip around a lot. Are other channels covering this now a little bit more? Do you hear any scrutiny on Anthony Fauci ever? You know, I mean, it's it's so un, it's so awfully predictable how this works, right? Because President Trump raised this issue. He said early on, April a year ago, 2020, uh, John Roberts asked him a question about whether or not he thought that it came from the lab and it, whether he'd seen any evidence to support that theory. He said, yes, yes, I have. And I do believe it came from the lab. So because of that, all of the rest of media became completely entrenched in the opposite conclusion. And it, it is so, it, it's the antithesis of reporting and journalism to dig in your heels at the early stages of that situation and say, you know, well, no, we know it didn't come from the lab. That was debunked. 
That was debunked. How, how can you say the lab theory has been debunked when we haven't even really begun to get any information out? What kind of the Washington Post wrote an editorial saying that it was debunked? Like where? Where is the evidence of that? Now, I, I think there are arguments to be made um, on, on all sides, but let's pursue them. Let's not be afraid to be curious. That is one of the things that baffles me more than anything Excuse when I look at the way these, this story has been covered. So I'm going to Josh Rogan's book. At first, I just said, let me just go to the Wuhan lab part. I went to the end. But as I go through the book, do you know that Steve Bannon and certain people, uh, not just Steve Bannon, but uh, actually General Mattis's nephew, others saw, beginning to see clearly how infiltrated China is in every part of society from our, from our colleges to the business to the lobbyists to Washington. And Australia had the five-alarm fire. They said they did it to us. We're still trying to get them out. You have to understand, America, they're targeting you. Now, Bannon and company are trying to get to the president, whose instinct said the same thing. That's why you saw the gutting of everything in Houston. That's why you saw TikTok That's get right. the examination. They were on that track. Now, how desperate are you of China to get, uh, get that party out of power, get that president out of office to make sure that their plan for domination is not derailed by Americans who are on to their plot? Very desperate. They're back on. They got a president now that doesn't care. They they go spying. They're back in our colleges. TikTok has never been hotter. Yeah, I mean, and as Peter Ducey brought up at the briefing yesterday, I believe, uh, the president brags about his long conversations with President Xi. But is he bringing up any of this? Are they pressing them on any? The, it, this That's is, not the way it works. This is this is a war of sorts, right? Call call it a cold war. Call it whatever you want at this stage. I hope it doesn't get any hotter than it already is. But it's pretty hot in all of the areas that you that you talk about. Space. The, look at this virus. Millions of people have died. If this was a complete accidental leap from the lab, bad actors can look at the damage from this and say, you know. Maybe we don't need to spend so much money on hard equipment. Maybe we need to spend more money in the lab. Maybe we can have the effectiveness no to bring down no a country. So I think a lot about the future of war, and I think about things like the pipeline. You think about cyber warfare. You think about biological warfare. Those are the areas I think that we have to be, unfortunately, really on our toes on. And and I'm looking to see, and if that person, you know, I'd love to see who the, the hardest-nosed person on this is in the Biden administration, who's pushing these lines of inquiry and defense for the United States of America, because I would love to have them on the show and talk to them. I would, too. Uh, listen, we'll take a short time out, come back. Martha McCallum will tell us exclusively what her show is going to be like. Will she have a band? Will she have drones? Will she be inside or outside? All that exclusively here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The Tokyo Summer Olympics are scheduled to begin in less than two months, but due to an increase in COVID cases, the State Department has now warned Americans against traveling to Japan. Who was planning on going to Japan in a few weeks? I haven't even made plans to go to Trader Joe's yet. I feel for the athletes, I do. But my feeling is, is this the right summer for the Olympics? Do you know what I mean? I feel like this summer's just going to be all about, you know, catching up with friends, going on trips, partying and rooftop bars. I feel like the Olympics genuinely missed the window. You know, we'd, we'd have all been bored enough last summer to sit on a couch and really get into archery, you know? <laughs> So they were talking a lot about the Olympics. It could very well be canceled in Japan. I don't think the people want it in Japan. What, Martha McCallum's here. Her show starts at 3. Martha, what I'm wondering is um, 
why Japan is having a problem. They were the first ones to Isn't that Taiwan. interesting? And they why handled they it back? really. So that honestly, that's a little bit unnerving, right? Um, do they have or do they it, have Moderna? Do they have and, Pfizer, and it could be it could be the um, the India variant that is spreading there. But we're told that the vaccines that we have here have proven to be pretty effective against that India variant. I, I do think that, you know, among the unvaccinated population, some of these variants are ripping through areas like we've we've seen them do in, in India, and that may be what's happening in Japan, but it definitely is concerning. So uh, I want to bring to something else that it broke over the, this morning, and this is one thing when people come up to me and they say, you think Trump's going to win again? I say, I'll run again and, and win again, of course. I would say, well, it depends on the investigation. They've been targeting him for the longest time. Michael Cohen, nine visits with Cyrus Vance's Manhattan DA office. And then yesterday and today, this morning, Manhattan District Attorney has convened a grand jury that's expected to decide whether to indict Trump. Uh, they're going to be meeting uh, three days a week for six months. They're going to hear more than just the Trump case. But experts say that Cyrus Vance is going to be retiring to him. The investigation of, of uh, Trump has reached an advanced stage for more than two years. It's been taking place. Vance thinks he has found evidence, according to experts, of a crime, if not by Trump, by someone potentially close to him or by his company. That's a jump. That's a legal analyst's thought. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I think we don't know what the evidence is yet at this point. We know that they've been at it for a very long time. And as you say, they've talked to Michael Cohen quite a bit. The things that we do know are that the initial investigation had to do with undervaluing real estate property um, in terms of taxing and overvaluing real estate property uh, when it came to assessment. So and the Stormy Daniels payoff, uh, that issue has also come up in terms of the legality of it. So, I, I mean, there, there are a number of issues here, and there's no – I can't – I find it hard to believe that he would have gone through two years of investigation without getting to the point where he wanted to call a grand jury and see if they will get an indictment. Indictments are generally – there's a, generally a low bar to indict. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes. But I think it's I just think it's far too early to assess whether or not there's enough strength in these in these issues, in these charges, if they come uh, to, to say that the president would would be found guilty of them. The current I, attorney know, general. I, he's always said he has very creative accountants. Right. And he, he never paid more than he absolutely had to. Of course. We know that he has written down properties as losses and figured out ways to pay the lowest possible taxes. Um, and he actually has said that, you know, he's, he's proud of the fact that he worked hard to do that. Um, or in so many words. So we'll see if those attorneys uh, were as good as he thinks they were. Or whether or not they cross the line. That's really what it's going to come down to. It is. And we don't know whose attorney is for this, right? I know that they put so much pressure on the CFO, and now they have the CFO's former daughter-in-law yeah. speaking Weisselberg. out. You watched her, Alan Wes- mm-hmm. uh, Wesenberg? Weisselberg. Weisselberg. And he's been a long time. He, he actually worked with Donald's dad. Yes. So he's they're very, to, very close to the family, has worked with them for generations. He's got a, a modest house in Wanta. They're mm-hmm. going to put pressure on him, say, do you want to go to jail at 80 years old for this guy? Yep. And they press, now his daughter-in-law might know things. You watched her, yeah, and you think she's in, she hates on, him. She was interviewed. It sounded very personal to me for her. She's the former daughter-in-law. She, there are plenty of photos out there of, of her and she and her husband with Melania and Donald Trump. Um, she sounded like she had an ax to grind. She said she had turned over a lot of documents from their office. Um, and she, you know, really went after him on a personal level. So it just, I, I just took away from it that there's obviously a very strong personal grudge. She said that she believed that her former father-in-law would flip on president Trump, what he has and what he would flip 
specifically is going to be the, the business of this grand jury. Well, we're going to find out, too. The question is, is the attorney general's investigation going to converge with this investigation? And the word is, in recent months, the investigations seem to have converged. Both sets of investigators have sought documents related to Trump's estate in suburban New York, according to court records, uh, where the future president obtained a $21 million tax break by agreeing to give up developmental rights on a tower in Chicago, where Trump's lenders forgave $100 million of debt. That's what's done at this high level. I'm, I don't want that type of stress. He does, but doesn't everybody? They just don't host The Apprentice or run for president <laughs> at that level. Yeah, I think that's true. I, you know, I think that it is. It's the kind of creative accounting that I talked about, but there's legal and illegal. And so that, that's what they're going to have to nail down here. I did see the other – yesterday I was a couple blocks from here. I think he was arriving at uh, Trump Tower again, so maybe he's back in New York to wow. you know, get an update on some of this. And he's we'll right see. in New Jersey. Who's going to be on your show? So we're going to talk to David Asher, who I brought up earlier, um, who I think is the most fascinating person on this COVID-19 story. When nobody else was digging in in China, he and his team at the State Department were doing just that. We're watching this breaking news out of San Jose shooter situation, which we will be covering uh, as well today. And inflation, um, which is becoming a big story. You can't throw this much money, trillions and trillions of dollars in checks to the American people. Then they go out to spend it and there aren't enough goods because of all of the lockdown that we've had over the past year. So that that makes inflation, and it could be very, it could be a, a very difficult situation for the economy. And we're going to find out. It affects every single person listening right now, whether it's something buying big or small. Martha McCallum, thanks so much. Coming up at 3. This thanks, is Brian, Brian. Kilmeade Show. Keep See it here. Then. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.